You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Farad Zengana, medical director of the Endocrine Diabetes and Osteoporosis Clinic, EDOC, in Sterling, Virginia. Dr. Zangana also serves on the board of directors of the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, AACE. I'm Dr. Farhad Zangana, your host, and joining me today is James Gavin III, MD, PhD, clinical professor of medicine at Emory University School of Medicine and at Indiana University School of Medicine. Dr. Gavin serves as CEO and Chief Medical Officer of Healing Our Village, Incorporated. He also belongs to a number of organizations, including the Institute of Medicine, the American Diabetes Association, the American Society of Clinical Investigation, and the American Association of Physicians, and the Atlanta Rotary Club. And today, we're discussing growing diabetes epidemic and healthcare disparities in the African-American community. Dr. Gavin, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Farad. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me. So the first question I wanted to chat with you is, uh, what do we know about trends in the growth of diabetes in African-Americans? Well, I think what's clear is that there is an explosive trend in diabetes that's occurring across the general population. What becomes especially noteworthy is that uh, in some populations, there's a disproportionate increase. If we look at African-Americans, for example, since 1992, Uh, there has been more than a doubling in the age-adjusted prevalence of diabetes in African-American men and women. And, of course, most of this is type 2 diabetes. Now, while this is the same trend that's being experienced by other racial and ethnic ethnic groups, it's important to note that while there's been about a 75% increase in general increase in diabetes in that decade, there's been uh, more than uh, 125, 150% increase in African Americans. And this is a really uh, significant event when you consider the impact of this disease uh, in this population. Is there such a thing as a diabetes belt? I think I remember reading about that someplace. If so, can you uh, share with us uh, what is it all about and, uh, and what are the features of it? Yeah, there, there is a diabetes belt. And in fact, this is a designation that has been made based on data that's been generated through the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And and what this uh, indicates, it really is about a dozen states in primarily in the southeastern parts of the of the United States, uh, where there are approximately um, 100% more African Americans than in the rest of the country. Uh, there's three times more diabetes. There's about 50% more obesity. And when you look at the prevalence of sedentary lifestyle, it's about 35% more sedentary lifestyle when you look across data. Now, what tracks with that as well, um, uh, Farad, is that there's more hypertension. Um, uh, there's uh, more obesity, as I mentioned, and and that means that we're looking at a place that is really a hot zone of diabetes uh, in this country. And then, as you follow this out, you'd expect to find uh, more obesity in young people. You'd expect to find um, more health care costs associated 
uh, with diabetes and diabetes-related complications. And, and, and this is a significant um, uh, focus of concern, both as a public health issue as well as a health issue uh, in those uh, 12 states uh, in the diabetes belt. So uh, now, you know, that kind of brings me to the, uh, the next issue uh, as far as policies. So definitely we, uh, we are uh, observing epidemic of obesity and diabetes in the U.S. and uh, definitely in the African-Americans, as you uh, were highlighting. So what policies are in order to, uh, to address these issues? And, of course, uh, are we, is that just to control it, to... Uh, to uh, alleviate it? Uh, are we doing, what are we doing in the prevention, treatment, and uh, combating this? Yeah, th well, th these are important points because it's clear that since we know that there is this high prevalence of disease, it's clear that we don't have any choice except to acknowledge that and, uh, and then implement uh, strategies and policies for treating it. Because once the disease is present, as you well know, uh, it is absolutely urgent to, uh, to control it. And that means not only controlling the blood sugar, but bl controlling the blood pressure, controlling the blood lipids, uh, trying to uh, uh, keep the psychosocial stress factors down, the, the, the entire gamut of issues that are important in diabetes control really uh, need to be in place. And that means working uh, with both health care providers in addition to working uh, with patients and communities. And much of this kind of work uh, is, uh, is being spearheaded by organizations like the American Diabetes Association, the American Association of Diabetes Educators, and the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists who are trying to put programs on the ground to help uh, manage diabetes better and to help patients um, manage themselves better. Uh, and perhaps no organization has really uh, stepped up any more fully than the National Diabetes Education Program in providing uh, strategies for uh, uh, taking care of your, your, your diabetes. But, but that speaks then to the other side. Obviously, we cannot continue to sustain the hits uh, of these high prevalence rates and these significant complications that come from this disease, particularly in high-risk, vulnerable communities like African Americans. We need to work more on prevention. That means that we need to be telling people less about what the disease is and more about how to avoid it. And so creating how-to tools that are toolkits that can help with prevention has really been uh, a significant feature of the work of the National Diabetes Education Program, NDEP. And I really urge people to go to the NDEP website at ndep.nih.gov to look at some of the materials that are available for free that can help high-risk populations uh, muster up a much more uh, powerful prevention program in addition to a, a more uh, effective treatment program, particularly for high-risk ethnic groups like African Americans. Not just African Americans, for uh, a variety of groups, but we're, we're focused on uh, a high-risk group like this in our discussion today. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Farhad Zangane, and I'm speaking with Dr. James Gavin, 
on the healthcare disparities in the African American community and the growing diabetes epidemic. Just to kind of re review um, the earlier parts, so the grassroots approach on education and prevention of diabetes uh, is a good one. For example, in school, at home, at church, uh, at, the, at the gym, at the local YMCA. So these things are all, at any aspect, I think uh, uh, you highlighted that this is important to, uh, to tackle this. So what are some of the barriers that prevent better outcomes uh, for, say, in the diabetes care for African Americans and other high-risk minorities? Well, I think there's there's several fires that we've continued uh, we've continued to run into as we uh, do focus groups and we uh, talk to people uh, in different activities uh, that uh, we encounter in some of our outreach efforts. First is uh, just lack of access to uh, the healthcare system in some consistent way. Um, this continues to be a problem, and and of course we uh, hope that. The movement towards more uh, robust health care reform uh, will at least uh, make a difference in, in this area. And whatever happens with the, um, um, the Affordable Care um, you know, Act um, uh, for patient protection, we'll, we'll see over the next uh, you know, six months or, or so. Uh, but that will help a lot because once people have at least some access to the system, there's some way of getting continued, consistent messages to them about uh, what they need to do to improve their health care. Second, um, the quality of health that is being delivered, the quality of information is not consistent. And, and, and this kind of spottiness in terms of messages that people are getting about what's important, you, you will note that now we're getting mixed signals about the importance of getting an annual physical examination. You know, that kind of thing is symptomatic of what happens when we start getting a, a shifting um, uh, a baseline of, of core information about um, areas like uh, diabetes. When people think, I'm talking now about providers, when providers think that there isn't consensus by um, people like us, you know, the so-called key opinion leaders, you and, and I, uh, then they think that, well, then whatever way they've learned to do it must be okay. And I think we have to really be cautious about making sure that we uh, insist on more consistency at the highest level of quality in terms of treatment to establish guidelines, getting to targets that uh, are evidence-based, and, and those are things that we are not seeing consistently applied in, um, in many of these high-risk communities. And then the final thing is that it really does make a difference to be able to have some degree of cultural congruence sometimes with the people who are providing your health care. So having more um, of the higher-risk uh, minority uh, types in the health professions uh, is an important priority, and we're still lagging in this. Uh, this is not the cure-all, not by any means, but it's certainly a help, uh, particularly in, uh, in some communities. Any new developments on the horizon that might help us reverse some of these uh, trends, the growing epidemic of uh, diabetes and obesity in the African-Americans? Well, I think we're starting to see more uh, uh, happening at grassroots levels. I, I'm, I'm seeing more um, efforts at um, 
at community levels, for example, um, the uh, church-based programs, things like uh, community-based programs in barbershops and beauty salons, these have been uh, attempted, but with with so-so success. I think now with the addition of social media, uh, ways that we can now uh, communicate with large numbers of people on a fairly regular basis, uh, the use of things like uh, tweets and texts and uh, uh, social network uh, messaging, we are now beginning to see uh, ways of, uh, of establishing even two-way communication systems so that people can get real-time responses to issues uh, that they have, questions that they might have about their uh, diabetes. And I think uh, we are starting to see that being leveraged more by organizations who are interested in this problem. And that's all the way from CDC to private foundations to organizations like the American Diabetes Association uh, and, uh, and, and ACE. So I'm hoping that we can continue to be imaginative enough and bold enough to take advantage of some of these new ways of getting uh, to people quickly and consistently so that we can start to, uh, to move the, the behavioral norms and change the culture so that people start thinking differently about their ability to do something uh, to take better control uh, of their disease. And I think we are starting to see some, uh, some progress. It's good to, uh, you know, have some good news at the end of this epidemic. So low-income Americans and racial and ethnic minorities experience, as you shared with us, disproportionately higher rates of disease, perhaps fewer treatment options, and uh, reduced access to care. And uh, with the current uh, economic uh, situation, I think the... uh, uh, the, the problem is not getting any better. What um, advice do you have for the patients and families of, uh, of uh, people listening to this as far as uh, what they need to be doing uh, more in addition to what we just uh, discussed earlier? Well, I think that uh, I often tell uh, uh, patients and people in general that, you know, you and, and I and people who have been working in this area for years and years We have to be experts in a lot of things. People depend on us to be. But they have to be experts in one case of one disease when they have it. And that is, if they have diabetes, they have to be an expert in their own. And so I really encourage them to take that challenge seriously and to start really looking into um, um, their disease by taking advantage of things that are free of charge. I just mentioned the NDEP. There are lots of other things that are available uh, to people that are user-friendly, that are written at levels that are not uh, highly scientific. They're not um, rocket scientist level uh, things, but they're tools that people can use to really take control uh, of themselves so that they can have better conversations uh, with uh, their healthcare providers and make sure that they know what numbers mean and which numbers are important for them. They won't ever take a medicine that they're not sure about uh, in terms of whether or not this is something that's really advisable uh, for them because they will begin to have a comfort level that they've asked all of the right questions, that they've gotten the information that they need. They feel free to talk about it with friends, with family, uh, with uh, with others um, 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 to make sure that they're in charge. So I think that 
we're really trying this from the ground up uh, as an approach uh, because we think that's really uh, going to be the way the, um, the, the self-care in healthcare revolution is going to be driven, especially in a disease like diabetes, which depends on this so desperately. No, I, I absolutely agree, and I usually tell my patients, you have to uh, team up with me because if you don't, all my uh, powerful medications will not work. So it's great to empower the patients. Dr. Gavin, it's, it's been a pleasure listening to you, and, uh, and I, I really appreciate your time, and thank you so much for your insights. Thank you, and you keep up your good work, Farad. I thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download this segment, go to reachmd.com forward slash diabetes.